Hey, and welcome to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mappa. I'm an actor and comedian. I live in Hollywood. And I'm Matthew Dempsey. I'm the psychotherapist. You're a psychotherapist. (laughs) This is the show where I get to talk about my mental health issues with a therapist who's not my therapist so that (laughs) you don't have to. I'll discuss all the uncomfortable, hot, messy things that we don't want to discuss. And I'll jump in and try to help clean it up a little bit so we <laughs> You're can get on the that, same though. page. Thank you. I'm really trying. You're really good. I mean, it's like uh, it, there was we did a show with uh, Wendy a while back, and you busted us like a therapist. You like called us out <laughs> in our own self talk. I really wasn't planning on it, but then you know we were having good conversation, mm-hmm. and it started kind of really getting into the mess of everything, especially the negative way we can talk to ourselves. So yeah, I thought it was a good time to jump in. You know, you don't have any negative self talk. I've got total negative self-talk, but I also have a lot of great tools on on uh, kind of how to manage it. But I'm yeah. very like, I start my day, I'm like very, very zen. I do my whole like meditation in the morning, Me too. gratitude journal afterwards, yeah. and, then I, and then I start things off. Yeah, you start yeah. sunny side up. That's right. Now, um, do you believe that uh, the voice in our heads is our parents? I believe the voice in our heads are largely influenced by our parents, but Mm -hmm. I also think that it's significantly influenced just by the world around us, you know, the social experiences that we have, the kind of multicultural experiences that we have, that all of that really informs. But it's interesting because with a lot of my clients, I find myself often going back to the root of whatever issues are, like really can, (laughs) really can, eh, I mean, it's just like, you know, kind of cliche, but it's like, yes parent stuff, and then also cultural experiences. That oh, those, yeah. those to me stand out the most as the significant things that yeah. impact us. One time yeah. my dad said to me, what you talk to your therapist about uh, what, what the terrible parent I was? And I was like, do you really <laughs> want to have this conversation with me now on the way to the airport? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. got that a little bit from my from my parents too, right? So really? It's, yeah, it's interesting because I think that it's a- Because that's the normal- subject for today, it's parenthood. It is. It's parenthood. Yeah. So we're going to be mm-hmm. talking about that. Well, let me Parenthood ask you. Show. Let me ask you because you're the only parent here right now. So because mm-hmm. you're so not going to have kids ever. For, well, you know, I don't know. Well, I, I'm like definitely leaning towards not having children because. I yeah. Think but what if I, you meet I, a guy that you're in love with and he's like, I want to have kids. Well, yeah, then maybe, you know, I kind of that door is cracked. <laughs> that door is cracked open. But I will say that I feel like, you know, I've said this to you at times before. I feel like I've kind of scratched that need to parent through my hmm. ability to be a therapist, especially when I'm working with younger gay guys. Right. Like I, I feel like I actually that you're, kind of f- you're fulfilling a parental role. Yes. As yeah. it were, but I'm without having to, to send them to college <laughs> <laughs> or deal with them other than the one hour a week. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But for you. OK, so for you as a parent, do you find yourself? reflecting or even having any insecurities about oh yeah yeah as a parent yeah i mean like how what what stands out to you i think i think being pair being a parent magnifies who you are yeah is there one is there one or two things that stand out the most that you're like i don't know if i'm doing this right um yeah i can't uh when my uh, son started going through puberty i took everything really personally Oh, really? Because he, um, you know, he, they reject you. It's called, you know, go through puberty. You're supposed to differentiate. Yes. You're supposed to, in order, in order for you to hit the benchmark of leaving and separating yeah. and, and living life on your own, it's a necessary part of your evolution as a human being. Mm-hmm. But it hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, of course. I can understand that. Just the rejection and just I kind know. of like, but I'm uh, like, work. That's the thing I've worked on with my therapist over and over and over again. I'll just kind of like come in and have a big dump about like, this happening? Yeah. and then he's like, don't take anything personally. This has nothing to do with you. His body's changing. His mind is changing. He's going through things. You were at 15, 16 years old at one point. You can't even imagine <laughs> what it's like right now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I'm not a parent. I don't know if I'm going to be a parent, nope. but I will say, so um, my parents split up when I was younger, my yeah. dad got remarried and then had a, had another child who's 13 years younger than me. So he's oh, my weird. little brother. Yeah. He's uh-huh. my half brother. He's 13 years younger than me. So I kind of almost got to be like a little bit of like kind of a, a co-parent as like a teenager. Oh, you okay. Know? Because you were a teenager with a, with a little kid in the house. So you're more yeah. like an uncle or something too. Kind, yeah. Kind of. It was like, yeah, kind of like yeah. an older, older brother, but kind of like, yeah. So it was a different thing, but I do remember, you know, growing up, up and you know he was like so attached and just loved when I was around and it's amazing and you think that's gonna last forever and I remember when he like started to become I don't know 10 11 12 and he just kind of like didn't have time for it anymore and just kind of wanted to do his own thing and I was like I remember when you used to throw yourself down on the ground and would cry when I would leave get on the (laughs) ground yeah it hurt what happened to that person yeah what happened (laughs) you know but you can't go back and but he's becoming this whole, whole other person and it's it when I stopped taking it personally I could really kind of stand back and and be a better parent because otherwise I'm just like a seething ball of resentment the whole time (laughs) do you think that it's actually helped you even outside of parenthood where you you're able to take other things less personally just in general oh yeah yeah Yeah. no that's the big spiritual lesson for me in in any circumstance is kind of like you know I'm the person like if you don't text me back right away I I literally go what did I Dude, <laughs> You've done that to me, Alec. He's mad at me. Are you mad I rem- at me? I remember one time you texted me about something about the show on the weekend, and you're like, "Hey, did you get my message?" Hey, and I was like, "It's the weekend," and you're like, "Oh, boundaries, cool. Okay, great." <laughs> oh, it had nothing to do with me, is what you're saying. You just right, don't text yes. on the weekends. Okay, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, he's ghosting me. He's totally mad. <laughs> he's totally like I, I." So that, th- and I've wasted years of my life. You know, doing that, but you can't, you can't take anything personally as a parent. And also they're not there to kind of, uh, 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 love you in the way that you want to be loved. That's not their job and, or, or to love them. Uh, they're not there to love you the way you love them. It's like, I'm the parent. I made a this decision to be a parent. So that's on me. Yeah. I'm, you know. A hundred, a hundred percent across the board through all the clients that I've ever worked with. There for sure are, you know, certain themes that come up consistently. And one of them is just how easy it is for us to personalize things. Mm -hmm. Just how much we make everything about us when most of it has nothing to do with us. And parenting being like one very specific experience through life that really breaks that down. You know, that like really kind of forces you to have to confront that. (laughs) (laughs) It hurts. It hurts. You're very smart to just keep with, keep it with nephews and you can always be the, <laughs> yes. the, the fun gunkle. We've all seen the headlines in the news of how someone lost her life in an act of cold-blooded murder. And while it's sad and grabs your attention, most people go on with their day without giving it another thought. But have you ever stopped to think about the life of the person at the center of the news story? They were more than just a headline or a statistic. They were someone's loved one or friend. I'm Mike Morford, and my podcast, The Murder of My Family, dives into some of those stories to help listeners get to know the person who was lost and how their death affected those closest to them. Listen to The Murder of My Family everywhere you listen to podcasts. There are well over 100 episodes to binge on now. 
Hi, this is Rachel Yucatel, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. This podcast delves into the lives of those who have been reduced to a single headline. Each episode will take a closer look at the stories of those who are on a mission to change their narrative. Join me as we uncover the truth behind the misconceptions, shed light on the stories of those who have perhaps been wrongfully portrayed, explore the complexities of the human experience, and celebrate the power of second chances. Who doesn't love a good comeback story? Well, I'm so excited for our guest today. We have the incredible Sandra Bernhardt. I know. I can't believe it. I've, I've been such a fan of hers forever. Huge. And I have to fangirl before she goes on because I don't want to do it while she's on because yeah. she's just too cool for that. And I don't yeah. want her to have an unpleasant <laughs> experience. <laughs> but I absolutely, I'm so thrilled to have her today. Yeah. She, was one of my, she was one of my idols in college. I used to see her live shows downtown and just kind of like see her up there and, and exude this kind of like steel confidence of steel, you know, just to get up in front of everybody and, and look in the eye. She used to do this thing where she'd have a flashlight and she'd shine a flashlight on people in the audience. It was so confrontational and badass. I saw, I saw an interview that Reese Witherspoon did with pink. And I kind of felt like, uh, like, like, I kind of feel like it'll be like with, you know, Reese Witherspoon because she was like to pink, you know, she's like, I was always kind of like afraid of you, but only because (laughs) I admired you so much because you're so bold and so strong. It's like, that's kind of how I feel about Sandra. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm also excited to have uh, Sandra on the show today because we're both parents. Yeah. We're both parents who are raising kids in um, same sex households, but you know, she's ahead of me. Her kid is 22. So she's not a kid (laughs) anymore. So hopefully she'll be able to give me some great advice. (laughs) All right. So today's guest is one confident woman who's also a parent, like we've said, but she's also a comedian, singer, author, performer, and actress who's recently been praised for her role as nurse Judy on the critically acclaimed series Pose. And if that's not enough, she's also the host of a hugely popular radio show, Sandyland, on Sirius XM, and an outspoken voice for social justice and equality. Please welcome the amazing Sandra Bernhardt. Yay! Yay. Thank you, guys. Thank you. (laughs) We were talking about being parents. Um, Matthew isn't a parent. I'm not a parent. (laughs) He's a good sounding board as a therapist for people who are going through what we're going through during the, uh, the COVID uh, crisis. How are you handling being a parent during this time, Sandra? Well, it's it's a little easier for me because my daughter just graduated college, so yeah. she's got a little more autonomy and independence than even somebody who's still in college or in high school. It, it's the challenge is that she, of course, can't segue seamlessly into the work world. Obviously, no. no. So she's back home and I think a little frustrated to be living with her two mothers, but mm-hmm. all in all, we're doing okay. But, you know, of course she wants to work. She wants to start kickstart her life and be independent mm-hmm. and self-sufficient, which she is to a great deal. But when you're living at home, there's limitations to how you live your life. Like we all know, just no matter what age you are. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, give me a preview. Mine is 15 going on 16 and it's just, it's rough right now. It is rough. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah adolescence well, is rough. And uh, I, I stopped wait. taking it personally a couple of years ago because <laughs> I was about to kill myself. I like, he just, everything. He, <laughs> he went from being completely dependent and lovely to just uh-huh. being so distant and yeah. closed yeah. off. And they do that. They do that. Absolutely. A hundred percent. When did that happen for you? Um, around 14, I think, you know, as puberty hit. Yeah. Um, and Sicily's 22 now. Yes. Okay. She's turned 22. 
Oh, wow. um, and it, it always came in waves, you know, because of course she's always been close to us and dependent, mm-hmm. but at certain points they, they hit back. And when you're, especially when they admire you in a certain way, they also resent you mm-hmm. because you're, you know, you're in the public eye like we are and we have strong voices Yeah. And they and they know that what we have to say is akin to what they believe, and yet they still have to find something wrong so they can pull away from you, which is part of the process of yeah. you know, growing differentiation. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that um, that's always been the biggest challenge. How did you balance that, especially like you said, having such a strong voice, obviously being very confident, and also in the public eye? How did you balance that where you could still model what it was like to have a strong voice, but give her the space that she could find her own? Well, I, I mean, I always tried not to talk too much about what I was doing in my career in terms of like you know people's response or the, the, the you know the celebration of mm. of who I am. And always kind of shine the light on her and kind of take a back seat. And I think that's that's really essential for any parent, but especially if you're in the public eye, you, you've got to be able to just put your you know excitement about yourself <laughs> on the back burner, yeah. and in order to shine the light on them. And, mm-hmm. and they need they need that. And she's much more of an introvert than myself and my my partner, who's also very successful and very you know strong and you know, in her own unique way. So we both, you know, have to, you know, balance it out and tone yeah. it down. And that's just how you do it. And you you got to go into having a kid with that in mind because no matter who you are, you've got to be willing to let go of some of your, you know, needs and wants yeah. that you had throughout your life. And I had and I also had her when I was much older. So I'd already established all of my, you know, independence and what I'm doing, whatever I wanted to do 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Something it was like, Oh no, you can't do that. anymore. <laughs> Is it okay if I ask how old you were when you had, when you had to sleep? Yeah. I had just turned 43. Okay. Wow. I became a yeah. parent late too. I was 45 and I had a five-year-old and just kind of, it, it was, it really is like Matthew doesn't want to have kids, but it really does change. <laughs> it's like getting your head twisted around the yeah. other way. I said, I feel like I've set my own house on fire. It was That's just kind of like, wow, <laughs> just the amount of need and and the, the the responsibility. If you thought about the totality of it, you couldn't do it. No, feeling really can't. strong in my decision right now too. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> your you your teeth are too beautiful to have a strong. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about his teeth earlier. He had braces. That's why they're so charming. Yeah. They just like uh-huh. they're per- charmingly perfect. What was the decision? What was behind the decision to finally have a kid? Well, I just felt like it was something that I wanted to experience, and I mm-hmm. I, I thought that I'd be very sad and that I'd missed out on it. Mm. And yeah. so I just kind of seized the opportunity um, and and went for it. And I'm so glad that I did. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, we were on that Rosie cruise years ago together yes. in 2007. It was a family that was, cruise. Yeah, the Our Family Cruise. And that was the first time I ever saw queer parents in one space. Mm. And they didn't sugarcoat it. Everybody was like, this is exhausting. <laughs> and, you know, but they were, they looked like my husband and I. And then we went to a, a foster adopt seminar on the ship. And everybody had said, girl, don't go to that seminar. The, uh, the lesbians are going to brainwash you. 
Oh, you're gonna hysterical. You're going to come back with a baby. But that's exactly what happened. They, we were uh, brainwashed by lesbians. We uh, <laughs> found about, out about the kids in the foster care system, um, the statistics that um, the most popular placement is a Caucasian baby girl. And uh, nobody oh. wants the boy. Nobody uh -huh. wants them over the age of three. And if they're African-American, oh, wow. they said a Caucasian baby girl is seven times more likely to be placed than an African-American boy over the age of three. Terrible. And that's when wow. I turned to my husband and I said, listen, I've got nothing against little white girls. I've been one my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> so we kind of just like, it was that aha moment that we knew that our kid was going to be black. I don't know why, but it was like the subjective agreement between my husband and I, that that was what was going to happen. And uh, nine months into the process, when we started in 2009, that's that's the kid we were placed with. We were placed with a five-year-old from foster care. Incredible. And, um, yeah. But it was like that thing of like, if I have to give this kid back, I'm going to jail. Like it, as <laughs> it, it was like, he was our kid right away. That's amazing. In so many ways, I have so much more admiration for somebody who takes on what you've done than having your own kid, because I mean, you're going, you're going to have certain things that you, you, you know, you're going to relate to DNA. Mm -hmm. And when you take on a kid who's already gotten some, you know, not only a different pa parent, but also right. emotionally been, you know, damaged. Yeah. You got, your plate is really full yeah. and that is a strength that most people I don't think have. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he said he had a lot of PTSD. He has a lot of PTSD that deals with in therapy. Um, mm -hmm. They say when uh, for a lot of foster kids who lose their placement early, like he did when he was three and a half, they said that it's like when you lose your mom at the supermarket when you're a kid. Oh yeah, that feeling. But oh. like in this case, they didn't. They never came back. So right. wow. We, but on his file, it was all about. Because social workers are in such a hurry, you know, they're just moving papers, moving people through the system. Yeah. And on his file, it was like, this kid is volatile. This kid is blah, blah, blah. There was one placement where he was only there for one night. And my husband <laughs> and I were like, God. he's upset because he doesn't know where he is. And he needs to. Of course. Yeah. He, so when he came to live with us and there was the emotional volatility, I was kind of like, all right. Okay. Like I, like for example, the very first day, I'm like, what do you want for breakfast? He goes, peanut butter and jelly. And he was like, I want peanut butter and jelly. And there was a whole fit about that. And mm -hmm. I said, um, cause that's how he got, had to get his needs met before. By screaming mm. and yelling. And yeah. Angry. And I said, look, watch this. It's right here. It's right here. You asked for it. You don't have to do that here. Mm. And so the first couple of years with us was like that about like, you don't have to do these things in order to get your needs met. But in the papers, it was kind of like, no, he's too much trouble. And I was like, no, it's, he's a baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Did you enjoy that time? Like the baby time and all that stuff? Did you enjoy that? Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. that's just a whole different time. You're like, you're just wondering what they're going to turn into. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. And you just want to like show them to everybody because they're, they're like dolls, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like carry them around and show people. And, like, yeah, and you dress them. You know, you can, and that's the fun time because you get, you, they have to wear what you want. Them to yeah, wear. you can put them in anything <laughs> you like. Exactly. And then yeah. as soon as they have their own, you know, thoughts and take, that's done. You can never yeah. you know, get to like, you know, have that sort of, you know, playtime with them anymore. What was the that, thing with, what was the thing with Cicely when she was growing up that, that kind of like struck a chord with you or maybe like irritated you in a way that you actually realized maybe it was a version of you, like almost reflecting yourself back to you? Um, I think she's so different. I think, 
you know, I think it's always hard when kids are emotional, you know, yeah. and that, you know, crying and you're like, oh my God, how am I going to deal with this? Because sometimes that's something for me that's like overwhelming. Hmm. So I, I think that that that's always been, that's always been something I've had to like take a deep breath and like center hmm. myself because yeah. you go, how can you make, how can you take away their fear or their pain or their confusion or whatever they're experiencing yeah. and, and not freak out yourself. Yeah, totally. Have you noticed that that's helped you be a little bit more like emotionally compassionate for yourself, patient for yourself too? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot through that. Just like peeling away those, those layers of, you know, wow. I mean, <laughs> who am I? And what, what's the, you know, what, what's underneath it, you know, because yeah. uh, again, being in this business, it's always been like, going, moving, glamour, hair, makeup, photo. And, and it's like, you, you sort of can like hold certain things at bay. Yeah. And suddenly when you stop and you have a kid, you know, you take a lot closer look at yourself and what you're really about. And I think that's, that's an important thing to do. You've got to do that at some point in your life if you want to be your priorities change yeah. in, in order yeah. to do the job. Well, you have to jettison a lot of, cause you were a supermodel. <laughs> I mean, all the old comedy central things where you would come out in a couture gown and your hair all <laughs> up and everything. It was like, you created so many fashion moments. Like well, I, I still, I still love that and can still yeah. do it. It's just that, you know, that's, I think that's one of the things about right now, the pandemic and being at home and not having, any outlet really yeah. for, for any of that yeah. is sort of like, oh, you know, sometimes you just feel like, like a dull old, you know, dishwater. <laughs> <laughs> so you do the best you can do, but yeah, I, yeah I, I mean, that's something I just love, you know, and I, and I, I would, I'll never stop doing that, but yeah, it doesn't, it isn't like something that's always front of mind and most important. Yeah. Yeah. You get, you get to find more of that balance, you know, like you were talking about raising your daughter that it forces you to have to turn inward a little bit more and, and maybe ways that you normally wouldn't. Um, same thing with like the coronavirus and being quarantined. It's the same thing for all of us now. Yeah. Forced to turn inward and get still and not have to keep spinning in the busyness and the hectic stuff of our well, lives. It, exactly. And also being together, you know, in, in yeah. under one roof a lot, you know, when you're in a, when you're in a relationship <laughs> and you got to learn how to navigate it and give and take and and be patient with with your partner and yourself and you know it's it's a real learning process and i can and i can't imagine how it will feel on the other side once we get back to yeah. some semblance of normalcy i don't know how yeah. long nobody knows how long that will take or what it'll look like but you know we've all i think the people who are sentient and care will have learned a lot from this experience and, agree uh, yeah and definitely evolved Agreed. Yeah. I believe this is a transformational time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as a nation, I think we're, this is like, for all of us, this is a time of reckoning. It's kind yeah. of like yeah. Trump is like the mouthpiece for white supremacy. Yep. And it's just so it's, he's not even pretending not to be right. anymore. He's, yeah. It's not even pretending not to be. And, and it's kind of, I think we're going to be divided between, you know, people who are interested in moving forward and who do want to get better and people who are just going to not Ever yeah, he's changed. he's the catalyst for for huge social evolution, and you and, and so in a way, looking back in five years, we'll probably be will we be thankful? No, but we will know that it had to happen, mm -hmm. and we had to, the bottom had to fall out in mm -hmm. order to, to to really 
finally face what this country has been built on mm-hmm. the racism the social injustice the ine- the inequities yeah mm-hmm. you know disparities and sometimes you just everybody has to like bottom out in order to like really face it yeah and, and he- can finally change and evolve and even be able to frame it like that, right? Like just that part alone is what can be so helpful too, is that this isn't some shit that's happening to us. It's happening for us. It's an opportunity to take a look at all the shit that we've been contending with, but as an opportunity to move through that, to grow through that, and then be able to come out on the other end even better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think for people like us, we've always been ready for this. I mean, this is not something, yeah. this isn't something that's like, oh God, oh, wow. I'm just, I finally got woke to the shit you know (laughs) we've all been woke but now we can help other people wake up as and of course there's always deeper ways of waking up too yeah yeah Uh, again peeling the layers away Mm -hmm. totally i mean kind of like on the note of like parenthood i'm just i just kind of like have this thought is there something as parents that you can kind of take from that experience where you know, you know what it's like to have uh, a person in the world that you're responsible for who like doesn't totally get it, who's not woke to kind of being like an adult yet and having the patience, but also the diligence to be able to keep showing up. And is hmm. there something, is there a perspective within that that can be helpful in terms of like us on the, on the left that are kind of more woke to other people who might not get it and who are ignorant in that way? I don't think so. No, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't. No. I don't think anybody's okay. got the time or the energy to like run around, you know, handling people that are so completely whacked out. Yeah. Right? It's like, I don't have time for it anymore. I don't have time for I mean, it anymore. It's kind of like I, we were in Washington DC uh, lobbying for the family equality act because they're trying to introduce discrimination in foster care and adoption by discriminating against qualified parents. You're actually creating less homes, less permanent homes for these kids. It's, it's absolutely horrible. But, you know, in a lot of the media interviews, they were saying, you know, as a, as a queer parent, how do you deal with the judgment of other people? And I said, do you know what I've put in the hours at this point? So whether or not I'm a fit parent is no longer part of the conversation for me. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm, I'm raising that boy. I'm taking him to school. I'm trying to arm him with the cultural information with black mentors, um, mm-hmm. In his life, who can, um, who can, so I can, I can give him everything except the experience of what it's like to be grow up, growing up in a black family. Mm-hmm. So I right. surround him with mentors who could give them that. I would do that, you know, we do that with our, our trans kids and with our non binary kids and, mm-hmm. you know, our, our queer youth. But, um, but the, the, uh, whether or not I'm a fit parent is like, I, I won't even have that discussion anymore. It's kind of, oh, that's absurd. It's yeah. absurd. Yeah. I mean, you took it on. You took on, you looked at the, at the, at the, you know, you said the white, the little white girls were the first ones to, right. to get adopted. And you mm-hmm. went for the thing that was, you know, the hardest sell and you dedicated your life to this young person and he's flourishing. Well, I mean, yeah. why would it, but why would anybody care if, if mm-hmm. they're not? I know that's, that's the banana. Do they, do, they like, do they want kids to fail? Do they yeah. want them to fall off the, 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 the radar? Mm-hmm. And, and and be marginalized because it, that, that to me just falls in with the systemic racism. And yeah. the thought, well, he, you know, oh, this will be just one more person we can, you know, use up and they'll, they'll work for us in a flipping burgers or work in a you know, chicken processing plant and then they'll just die. I mean, it, that, right. that to me is the alternative right. to somebody who wants to have the experience of raising a kid who wouldn't have it, you know, wouldn't have what you've been able to give to him. And any other way. I mean, it's just, it's asinine. 
Yeah. And he's just like, so it's just so unfortunate too, obviously, because like when you really, when you really kind of like pair it all back and just kind of get at the root of like, you, when it's just like, this is crazy making, like what the fuck, where are these people coming up I with know. these decisions? Now, why am I here in Washington talking that is, about this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and just, yeah. just, just to know that at the core, it's just so overwhelmingly fear driven that just kind of manifests in all the ugliest ways, but just yeah. like fear of things being different things of, you know, fear of things changing and all of that stuff. It's just like, oh my God, just get brave enough to know how to lean into that and know that that's actually something something that can bring so much better stuff into the world instead of just like being led by your own ego, your own fear-driven self about I, how things but, are going to be. But I don't even understand I, how, how do you, I mean, who's got the time even as a therapist to get underneath that? Because right. if somebody wanted to get underneath that, then they wouldn't be that person. 100%, but if they're, if they're yeah. just like clinging to things that, you know, whether it's anti-gay or whether it's anti-abortion or whether it's like, you know, anti-feminist or anti-racist. you know, racist. I mean, yeah. these are people that are clinging to things because that's just in their, that's just in their makeup. And maybe it could turn into a, a happy ending movie where the person wakes up, but what are the chances of that? Not hmm. very good. Yeah. I don't think, I don't even necessarily think that, you know, you have to get to a place of understanding like, oh, okay, yes, it, it is fear driven. So let's kind of go in there and do some right. hand holding because that's not really going to work. But I think what it does do is it helps us reframe things in a way so that we then can, have it feel maybe kind of less, you know, as though it's just kind of gross and nastiness and maybe kind of see where it's coming from. So we can more effectively kind of, you know, find our kind of more very assertive way in to be able to make the changes that we want. It's like, what's that famous quote by um, MLK when he's talking about like, you can't cast away darkness with more darkness, only light can do that. So kind right. of like finding some right. angle in that way. That is, it's true, but that there's, there still has to be yeah. something there's, inherent in that yeah. person who's willing to, accept it and open yeah, up to it. My husband right. is, uh, he's, uh, his family's from Louisiana and he grew up in a very religious household. So having me in the family has changed him and then having a black child has changed everybody. Yeah. So there's incremental change. I'm Dr. Megan Sachs. And I'm Dr. Amy Sloshberg. And we're the host of the podcast, Campus Killings. Our show covers some of the most sinister crimes to take place on or around school campuses, or the cases we discuss have a school-connected theme. And with the new school year comes an all-new second season of Campus Killings, which will debut on September 16th, 2023. But if you want to listen to Campus Killings now, you can binge all the episodes from season one, available everywhere you listen to podcasts. I want to talk real quick because you're killing it on Pose. And I, I love that yeah. you're on that show. And it's, yeah, Me too. I, and it's like so much of who you are is, fits into the experience and the universe of that show. Can you tell us what it's like to work on it? Well, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of, of true sense mm -hmm. memory having gone through that time and been, you know, an adult and, and having experienced the loss of a yeah. lot of friends and, you know, be an entertainer during mm -hmm. that period and, and watching how, how the, the, just the, the, you know, desperation of people to get some, you know, support and, and, and some care uh, mm -hmm. at that time. So playing a character who has that compassion and is that kind of medical, you know, person and gives a, a darn is, it just makes yeah. total sense. And, and it's also funny because Back in the 80s, when somebody was transgender, I mean, it was like, you know, it was like a, a sort of a joke, you know, mm -hmm. people called them trans yeah. hookers and they were fun and crazy and over the top. And no one could have ever imagined them having, you know, 
evolved so quickly to becoming stars of a show about an about an era where it, where they were the yeah. punchline. So that in itself too is is very inspiring and amazing. And and sometimes I just stand back and watch the whole thing and compare it to the, the way it was in 1988 uh-huh. to the way it is now. And mm-hmm. It's sort of like taking in these two landscapes that have you know, overlap. Yeah. Each and other. to have and experienced both. Because I remember seeing you exactly. at Second Avenue in 1989 <laughs> and I lived in the West yeah. Village and I would be at Christopher Street and I'd see them all yeah. and they would mm-hmm. just tear me to shreds. Yeah. I'm like, who just yeah. read my clothing? <laughs> but we had Dominique Jackson on a couple of weeks ago and and yeah, she, she just great. talked about the satisfaction of having lived through a really difficult time and then all of a sudden she's on a poster in Times Square, you know, that her... Mm-hmm. I know, yeah. it's incredible. Gorgeous and so yeah. like, funny and just like it's just superstar and, and I know it's just yeah it's incredible it's incredible and it's overwhelming and so things are are happening so quickly and I mean I really think this is the time of you know great cultural evolution but nothing as we've been discussing comes without the sacrifice and the pain of making those changes yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because that was like I was I was a kid during uh, yeah I was in NYU in 1988 19, I remember like being a baby gay and going to all the ACT UP meetings, and all those nurses like Nurse Judy mm. would be there. You know, there'd be a lot of gay nurses yeah. there and queer nurses who would talk yeah. who would talk about because it was like a war. It was like talking about what's going down on the ground. These yeah. are the things that we need and that right. we're not getting right now. Yes, exactly. So it's it's incredible that we can look back at it on a show that is also so contemporary in its own way, even though it's about that time. I also love mm-hmm. that you smoothed your way onto the show. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. I was, I mean, I'm, I'm friends with Judith Light. She was on our flight. She's from, the best. Um, I love her. From yeah. LA and the yeah. best LA to New York and um, Stephen Canals and our lady Jay yes. were on the flight. And we were, we were talking on those elevators that, are, that go down like this at American airlines and then go back uh-huh. up like this. And then by the time we got to the um, luggage carousel, I, I said to them, I said, I said, I don't know if there's anything, you know, what you're writing or any characters, but of course I'd love to be on the show. And they just happened to be casting Nurse Judy oh, that week. So they went back and spoke with Ryan Murphy and he said, done. And that's Beshared. how it all happened. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. How lovely. Love when that happens. I know. Don't we all? Yeah. Dude. Is there like a different energy on that set than maybe, uh, you know, kind of other experiences that you've oh, had? with white people? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what? What's what, what feels different about it? Well, I think everybody's going through their thing. I mean, yeah. you know, people are literally in transition. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of like energy and, you know, hormones and changes. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's also very, very political. So, you know, there's yeah. just always, there's a lot going on. And Billy Porter brings a whole other energy and life uh, yeah. to the yeah. situation. Talked to Billy last week. <clears throat> yeah. He's so, so that, great. I love that he's having this moment, you know? I know. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's just sort of like, I think, pinching themselves because it's just, it's so different and so yeah. refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, a black queer show. I'm always happiest on a black set or a queer set. So I can imagine it's like an overload of joy to be on a black queer set. It really is. Yeah. It really is. And there's and just like, you know, it's also fun to see the crew. I mean, a lot of people on the crew are gay, but not everybody. There's, you know, uh-huh. just the usual kind of guys. Teamsters. And mm-hmm. Teamsters. Yeah. But everybody's just cool. You know, they're chill. And it's just, 
there's just something so inspiring about the whole vibe. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Are you working from home? Are you doing your Sandyland show from home? Yeah, I'm doing. I'm. I do it weekly because I had cut back once I started doing pose. So I have my remote equipment. So I do one show a week. And unfortunately, it's pre-taped because I love doing it live because I take calls and. You know, I love the immediacy of live, yeah. anything live, right. obviously. So that's a little frustrating, but it's better than nothing. So yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad to still be out there and, and being able to talk about what we're all going through. Like like this, you know, I mean, we're just yeah. all keeping it going. I know. And it's hard not to hit the road again because it's like that interaction. We're missing it. We're kind of. I miss it so much. Yeah. Yeah. I miss it too. Oh. God, it's I miss it like too. Pain, it was like, yeah, it was. Um, we used to all at NYU, we used to all go see your show, the midnight show on Second Avenue, and it was so great. And um, I, I used to memorize your uh, monologues, the San Francisco one, because I'm from San yes. Francisco. I'm yes. gonna be an executive se- secretary. <laughs> <laughs> Are you done? I was done before we even started. <laughs> uh, uh, I love it when people remember all those, those uh, great, yeah. Mar- it is sort of a classic, you know, it's like a whole reflection on the Americana, you know, experience that show. Yeah. The Christmas, you know, piece and the San Francisco piece and yeah. the disco piece. Everything is like. It I was love like, the disco piece. It's so, it was so good because it was also <laughs> kind of at the end of disco and sort of like, I don't know, everything was just, it was just a magical time. It was great. And you're the first performer I ever saw who I was like, she doesn't give a shit whether we like her or not. (laughs) Like after after doing like, you know, stand up comedy at places like the comedy store and the improv for 10 years, you learn not to care. Yeah. Yeah. But you like, I was like, I kept on looking for it. Where's the, I was like, nope, she's going to be fine with or without us. And that was my big takeaway. It's like, I want to approach I want to be on stage with that kind of confidence because you really yeah. do need it. That you, I you're mean, going to be fine it, regardless. Yeah, because night after night, you don't know who is in the audience. And, you, and as you know, performing live, there's a collective energy with each audience that is mm-hmm. never the It's like a, it's a fingerprint, you know, yeah. it's, it's unique. And every night you get up, you don't know what the audience collectively is going to give you. Hmm. Collaborative. Mm. <laughs> well, um, we always wrap up the show. First of all, I have to thank you. I'm so grateful that you did the show today. Yeah, I'm thank you. So thank much. you, guys. I'm so wonderful to talk to you both. Um, so uh, we wrap up the show, the Hot Mess Podcast, with a hot message. Do you have a hot message to kind of sum up what we're all going through right now? This amazing change. Well, I think that the hot message is that it's really a meditative experience and that you've got to like stop throughout the day when you feel like you're trapped or freaked out or you want to just run from it and look at it straight in the eye and go wow what am I getting from this and how can I transform this Mm. you know in my in my future life and and project into the future what you what you're going to get from it and I think Mm. that's the lesson we all are are trying to get from it those of us who are kind of on our little spiritual paths Mm -hmm. and, you know, just, you know, take it day by day. Mm -hmm. She just solved everything. Did you? Yes. Thank you. Everything (laughs) in my universe now. Sandra saved the the known universe. (laughs) We can find you at at Sandyland on Sirius uh, weekly. Now your Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Thursdays at 1 p.m. Nurse Judy on Pose, which is available on uh, the Netflix. Right. 
And uh, what are your socials, Sandra? Where can people find you? We, I'm Sandra G. Bernhard and, mm-hmm. on um, Instagram because somebody took my name. Now my middle name is Gail. And then I'm just Sandra Bernhard uh, on Twitter. All right. Thank you so much. Easy breezy. Love you guys. Love, Love you. Keep, Thanks, up, keep up the good work and we'll see each other soon. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. Thank Love you, you so much. Bye-bye. All right, Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. What is your Thanks. hot message for the day? Well, I think my hot message, especially being a non-parent, is uh, one of my favorite quotes, if it scares you, fucking do it. So maybe this is something I can do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh so hard. If it scares you, no, no, it's great. I, I love that. I love that because <laughs> I'm, I'm in a, a state of terror constantly. What's your hot message of the day? My hot message of the day is... Um, I agree. Do something that scares you because all of the growth is on the other side of that. You know, uh, just taking a risk and stepping outside of your comfort zone. (laughs) You laugh so hard, but your message is the same as mine. (laughs) It's the same. (laughs) Well, that's how strong it is. That's how meaningful it is. Yeah. So, Matthew, where can people find you on socials? You can find me at MJ Dempsey Psych on Instagram and Twitter and Matthew J. Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook. And you could also find us both on Twitter and Instagram at the Hot Mess Pod. Yep. Uh, you can find me at Alec Mappa on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We here at uh, Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist, know you have many choices when it comes to being entertained. So we're so grateful that you chose to spend your time with us today. Yeah. Tune in next time for more fun. Bye, guys. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen. 